0: bullpen sessions where you will learn the lessons from the athletes excelling at the highest level so you can take these same lessons and apply them to your sport, business, and life. My name is Andy Neary, and each week I sit down with current and former pro athletes and other professionals tied to the sports world where we dive into the mindset of those athletes excelling at the highest level, teaching you lessons you can apply so you can have massive success in your sport, business, and life. So do me a favor, grab your glove, grab a ball, take the mound, because you are about to strike out those limiting beliefs that have been holding you back for oh so long. Here we go. Hey, 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 welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. I am more than excited to bring you this week's guest. As you know, I was fortunate to pitch professionally in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, and many people ask me, you know, what was, who who, and what was influential in your earning that right to pitch professionally. And, you know, a lot of it had to do with my upbringing, having the chance to grow up in a house with a father who was a longtime baseball player, longtime coach. But i also tell you, it was the influence I had of my coaches, the staff at UWM that really gave me that opportunity to excel at the next level. And so this week, I'm excited to bring one of those huge influences on today's uh, On Bullpen Sessions podcast. And that's Scotty Duffick. Scotty is the current head coach at UWM. He was the Assistant associate head coach when I was playing, and I wanted to bring Scott on to talk about college program, college athletics today. What what it's like to be a coach at the Division one level, and how that differs from maybe when I was playing twenty some years ago. As a coach today, it's harder to recruit than it's ever been. You've got athletes getting exposed in ways that they have never been exposed before at these you know elite camps, these exposure uh, clinics, these travel team tournaments. It is harder today than it ever has been to try to recruit competitively given how much exposure these athletes get. So we talk about that. We reflect back on Scott's 27 years in the UWM program as he's closing in on 400 wins. Talk about some of his favorite games, some of the great players that have come through the program. We even reflect back when my class was there from 1996 to 2000. So I'm just excited to bring Scott to you. You're going to really enjoy this episode. Again, it was special for me to have somebody who has been such an influence in my life on the podcast. And I can't, can't wait for you to hear his story. So buckle up. You're going to really enjoy this one. All right, here we go.
1: Get your mindset. All
0: right, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. This one's a uh, special one for me as I get to talk to somebody who's influenced my sports career big time. Uh, none other than one Scotty Duffick, head coach at UWM. Yeah. Scotty, welcome aboard.
1: Great to see you, Andy. Thank you.
0: You Good bet. You be bet. Um, I'm uh, I'm excited to have you because, as we talked about offline off the show, you've been at UWM now for 27 years, head coach for 15 of it, and mm-hmm. a lot has changed yeah. <laughs> in the world of let's just call it college sports. And I'm actually going to start right there. I want this episode to be, uh, you know, my audience is a lot of business professionals who have kids. We're probably going through this phase right now in high school where they might be playing some travel ball no matter what the sport is but kind of give a good peek into what's going on at the collegiate athletic level which how things have changed so much for you when you think about UWM you know when you came in in what 93 94 roughly
1: yeah 94. I got
0: I came there in 96 I remember standing in a uniform in the elevator to go to my dorm and people are like we have a baseball team yeah. <laughs> how has college baseball really changed how have you seen it change in the last uh, 27 years, maybe at UWM and then yeah. in college baseball at large?
1: Well, I think if you look at the the large picture, I, I think the game uh, itself, the sport itself, the, the investment being made by the universities has come, you know, 10, a thousand fold, you know, viewing it in some capacities as a revenue producing sport where, you know, in the past it was only, that wasn't really only the case in the, you know, the power fives and, and really even smaller uh snapshot than that really the sec and you know the pac-12 and short of that it really wasn't viewed that way you know mm-hmm. um so short of a handful of teams in the country you know it it wasn't a revenue stream it wasn't a a, a a front porch for a university to to sell their 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 school and i think you know through the course of uh the last 20 years with the internet and espn 2 3 5 10 <laughs> <laughs> College, you you know, and they've really done a good job of of taking the sport. You know, it is the national pastime. It's one of three major sports in, in the in the country, and and I think the the universities and the you know the people at the top have recognized the power that it could hold for them.
0: Yeah. And I would I would agree, too. I think, you know, as M, the Major League Baseball at that level is becoming more and more about the entertainment value. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are enjoying the fact that at the college level, it's still kids bunting, running 100 percent, sliding into first yeah. base, doing what they have to do to win the game. You know, U, I, and I think for, for UWM, as I look at the program again, when I was there from 96 sure. to 2000, so much has changed you know, from, we took buses down to Louisiana. (laughs) And today, you know, you're, you're, you're riding, you're right. Or we took vans, excuse me, not even buses, vans. And now you're on buses and you're on planes. And, you know, fast forward to to today, the last 18 months has had, has had to been pretty strange for you as a head coach going through 2020, you know, with COVID. What was that like? What have the eight last 18 months been like as a head coach?
1: Whew. Well, I, I think in the beginning, you know, we thought um, just the way it ended was so crazy. Um, you know, we, we were four weeks into the start of our 2020 season and just getting ready to start up conference play. And then the whole Rudy Gobert thing happened. And and really in the coming hours, the kind of the whole world seemed to just shut down. And so not just our industry, uh, every industry has felt that, you know, as deeply as you can feel it. And the whole thing has changed. I mean, literally every single thing has changed. And so in the beginning, I think you try to just chart a course, try to make sense of what the next year is going to look like. And I, and I found early on that I better not chart more than about a week out because it's going to change probably three times in that week. So it was really just kind of learning on the fly and really just trying to wake up every day and make that day as productive as I could with the information that I had um and then as things have slowly started to come out you could at least see some light at the end of the tunnel and and now it's just it's it's so encouraging to see the direction that we're headed you can almost start to sense some normalcy so it's been kind of a it's it's been a roller coaster for sure um just uh, you know in baseball in in college recruiting uh budgetary uh, scheduling Online classes, the way we had to practice, masks, testing, you know, get your temperature 50 times a day. I mean, just you can't get on a bus. We can't even two guys in a hotel room, you know, seating charts on a bus, like anything you could possibly imagine. Every single aspect of the sport, the school, just our way of life was impacted.
0: Well, two things I think that have shifted big time. You talked about one just before we started, but first, um, Last year, the NCAA granted seniors that ability to actually come back if they had another year. Um, did that impact the UWM roster at all with people who may have been graduating, but because of that one-time exception had the ability to come back?
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't just seniors. They gave everybody the year back. So okay. that that we're going to feel that for five years out. So um, thankfully, last year, I only had four seniors. Um and three decided to come back. And the one who didn't had already graduated with his master's degree. So, um, yeah, we ended up having this last year. We had, I only had, uh, three seniors on the team and two of which, uh, were six year seniors that would graduated with master's degree. And the other one was, it will be finishing his master. So if it had been the year before, I had 10 seniors and I don't know how that would have looked, but, Um, it it's made these rosters just unbelievably, uh, taxing, trying to figure out, um, as an example, this year, this roster, you know, I had three seniors, like I said, but I had, I had 14 juniors, 10 of which were on scholarships that we expected to be gone on, you know, the middle of may this year. Well, they all have another year of eligibility now. So, you know, they have the, the option to come back and play that fifth year, or maybe even that sixth year. And their scholarships in a lot of cases ran out because it's a four year scholarship typically. And so trying to have those conversations, trying to figure out like their academic journey, does it make sense to come back? Like you're asking these guys to make some pretty grown-up decisions, like, and they had to do it in about a week. So pretty tough, really some tough conversations, some unfair situations. Um, for the coaches, the programs and certainly the athletes just really a uh, tough situation and it's going to it's going to take 3 or 4 years to kind of bleed itself out because everybody underneath got the year back too so those options are going to continue.
0: Well, and think about the flip side on the on the recruiting side it's got to make things difficult because if, the, if some of these guys elect to stay yeah, it impacts how you, how many people you can go out and try to recruit. That's going to be the next, you know, backfill into the future program.
1: Yeah, well, you can go out and recruit as many as you want, but you're going to have okay. to, you're going to have to trim your roster down somehow, and that's where those conversations are tough. Like you got to decide: does it make sense for me to carry a fifth-year guy who's maybe been a great um, ambassador for your program, but hasn't performed all that well? You know, maybe he's just performed average. Well, does it make sense to carry an average guy in his fifth year or potentially a sixth year or kind of refresh and hit the reset button and go get a, you know, incoming 18 year old or a junior college player and see, uh, you know, if you can improve your program that way. And it's not fair really to anybody, unfortunately.
0: We'll talk about too how how uh, one of the other one-time exceptions here that have been made has been made in the NCAA the whole transfer rule where, where everybody gets a transfer. You said to me before we started, yeah, there are thirty one hundred baseball players sitting in the transfer market right now, which is basically free agency. Correct. How do you see that impacting college baseball for years to
1: come? <clears throat> well, it's it's when you were in when you were in college here that was the rule. You could transfer one time freely. Um, and then I don't know when it was, I'm guessing 10, 12 years ago that that went away. Um, and now this is the first year that it's back. And so, um, it, it's going to be interesting, you know, with the way recruiting is now with, you know, PBR, the showcase world, uh, the travel ball circuit and, and all that. Um, a lot of times you're getting, you're getting freshmen and even sophomores, and even freshmen committing to these colleges. Um, you know sometimes sight on scene just go to a showcase and their metrics are so good that they're being offered scholarships um in the last year and a half we weren't able to see these players in person um, so you're having to kind of trust some of that stuff that you're seeing on on the camera or even just the data metrics that you're using that you maybe deem important um, and you're having to take flyers some programs certainly do it a lot more than others i really have a hard time here doing that like to me that's i don't know that you can see and really grade a baseball player in a two-hour workout because he runs well and he you know maybe can throw a ball fast doesn't necessarily make a baseball player for me so you know just trying to feel all that stuff out and i think everybody's trying to do that in their own way and what they deem important and because of that you're ending up with a lot of people that are at the programs for the wrong reasons. You know, um, you know, not able to meet that coaches, not able to visit the campuses the last year and a half. Uh, just crazy, really, to me, that you're having to decide where I'm gonna spend the next four or five years of my life, um, without that information. And yeah. so because of that, I think your your the transfer portal looks like it does. Um I also think because this the not to give you too long-winded of an answer here, but because it's um it's a, it's not a, it's a headcount sport, um, an equivalency sport, meaning we get 11 and a half scholarships, basically to spread around. You're going to get people that are always going to chase more money. Um, you, cause you got a vet, you know, you got uh, on a, a normal roster. You're going to have 27 guys on scholarship and 35 as your roster limit. So you're going to have eight guys every year that get no scholarship to be on that team at all. None. Mm. The other 27 are getting only partial scholarships. Mm-hmm. You know, at certain levels, right? So, you know, I think it's it's like a business, like anything else. People, money is going to talk, and so if people can go out and get a better, you know, circumstance for themselves financially, why wouldn't you do it? And and even you know, athletically, if you can go find uh, a, a program, maybe you're you're at a you're you're the backup shortstop for three years at a power five conference. And you got an opportunity for a couple of years to go play at a mid-major conference you know that might make more sense for you you know as far as your your career goes and your even your experience like you know i want to play why wouldn't you want to play I am, i'm i'm doing all this work i want to get on the field and compete and maybe that gives me an opportunity to even get to the next level even though i'm not in a power five
0: well talk talk quickly about how it, how is it today to try to recruit you know, let's classify uwm as a Division one, mid-major, right? Yeah, for sure. Not in a power five conference. I remember, again, I'm going to go back 20 some years when we, uh, my recruiting class came to UWM and I look at one myself before I even talked with UWM, I had one offer for the most part from division yeah. two, Winona state. That was it. Yeah. And I look at guys back then, back then you could find, let's call them hidden gems, a yep. Chad Sadowski, a Darren Hogum, a Todd Ludwig. Let's face it. If those guys are playing today. They're probably not going to UWM they're probably getting looked at by a much bigger school because of all the exposure. These kids get now
1: hundred percent.
0: How does that for you, how's that impacted your recruiting thinking back then versus what it is like today with all the data, all the video, yeah. everything you have to make these. Cause I see these kids, you know, back when I was a senior, it was a big deal if you got recruited by Minnesota for sure. But nowadays kids from Wisconsin are going to power five schools left and right.
1: Yeah. 20, 30 of them every year. I mean, it's it's just uh, so you you could say the state of wisconsin may have x amount of players that are that qualify for division one baseball or they have the talent well we're the only division one program in the state of wisconsin so it's easy to say well you've got you know you got a pick of the litter the reality is every state is recruitable for every coach just as easily as if it's 30 miles or 300 miles or three thousand miles because everything's online everybody has the information I can go on PBR right now and I can go, I need to find a shortstop in the 23 class and it will grade each shortstop out in the country, rank them academic, athletic, give me every, all the metrics I want. So, so Oregon state can do that as well. And they can find a guy in Wisconsin and and recognize that maybe they are a little bit less uh, seen than in the PAC 12 area or whatever. Um, and easily make a phone call. So that's happening 24-7. The hidden gem days, unfortunately, are gone. I mean, it used to be that I could easily just get in my car, uh, have a relationship with somebody up north or somebody that, hey, there's a guy you might want to come look at. And I might have been the only guy that ever saw the guy. Um, and that was that was kind of the beauty of it. Um, or find a three or a four sport athlete, Chad Sadowski, who, you know, wasn't Um, on the travel ball circuit because he was playing football then he was playing basketball. Then he was nowadays, you know, nine out of 10 of these guys are one sport guys. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows about them from the time they're 14, 15 years old. Um, And so the hidden day, the hidden gem days are, are really gone. Mm -hmm. There still is an occasional three sports star guy that uh, does get a little bit lost in the shuffle because he doesn't show up for the, you know, the afternoon showcase, the PBR event, because he's got a basketball, football, whatever commitment. And there are still some of that, um, but not nearly, not nearly 1% of it, what it what it used to be. Yeah. Okay.
0: I, it makes, yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I think about these kids today and often I go back, I'm 43 now, which is hard to believe. I'm like, God, what would it be like to play today if you were 18 again? it is just a whole different world
1: the opportunities they have now are just so different than than you had and certainly that i had you know even before you but i mean they they're getting exposed to so much more than we didn't we just didn't get you didn't have that opportunity from an athletic competitive training environments um 12 months of the year uh, just the competition to go play all over the country in the summer there's guys in wisconsin that they don't even play in i won't even if i want to see a kid from wisconsin play half the time i got to go to tennessee to see them they just don't play here wow. because they're, they're going to play this circuit and yeah while they're doing that a hundred coaches are seeing them every weekend now now finally they're seeing them last year they couldn't obviously but yeah. so yeah it's changed it's changed from a to z it really has
0: let's shift a little bit to the mindset you know you've coached at uwm over the last 25, 27 years, seen a lot of kids come through mm-hmm. and you know, ha- and also have watched a lot of kids have some massive success. We're going to get to Dalton Bar Show in a little bit in a second here. You know, when you look at these kids that come through your system right now and you know the ones that end up getting signed, whether they're drafted or they sign as a free agent, what do you see in those athletes that you may not see in every kid that comes into the program that gives them that ability, besides talent, right? It gives them that ability to play at the next level.
1: Well, like you mentioned there, I mean, there has to be a baseline talent that you're starting with. Um, and typically if they're, if they're here at this level, there's something that's getting them on that roster. Right? So there's going to be that baseline almost always, whether that it's professional level baseline or not, it's, it's fringy for everybody. And I think what separates the guy who really does take off is just intrinsically motivated, like they wake up with the motivation every day to, to get better, you know, and, and certainly you can coach them and they need to be coached and they want to be coached. Um, but the motivation is not the coach telling them, Hey, we got weights at six in the morning, or we got practice at two 30. We've got early work. If you want to come, it's not about the coach. It's, I think it's, it's about, they wake up with, this is what I'm, this is where I'm going and this is how I'm going to get there. And, you know, the coach is going to be part of that. He's going to help me get there, but he's not going to be the reason I get there. And I don't think that most people, uh, I wouldn't say most, but a vast majority um, of people have that for a while. And then when it gets really tough, I think um, sometimes distractions that go on in their life can pull them from those decisions. And the ones who stay really, truly motivated and stay true to that, that motivation, um, they just push through it. And they don't give in yourself included mm-hmm. i mean that's why you had an opportunity to, to get paid to play baseball it wasn't your skill set um although you certainly had some innate abilities there it, it was the the motivation to do it and mm-hmm. you know the coaches were going to help you along the way but we weren't going to be the reason you got there
0: yeah well and and i want to dissect that a little bit because i think a two moment like most people don't realize and i haven't even brought this up you yourself obviously found yourself in pro baseball and you made it all the way to AAA in the Dodgers organization and Mm -hmm. the stats guy that still blows me away is your sophomore year in junior college you hit what 539 540 something like that
1: yeah the competition wasn't
0: (laughs) but but let's let's now fast forward it though to while you know during as a head coach you had a player who had one of those kind of seasons Mike Getz if I recall he hit almost 500
1: yeah he did for an entire season yeah, the, talking, the weekend, the last weekend of the year, he was he went into that weekend hitting five hundred.
0: We're talking sixty plus games.
1: Yeah, two hundred. at bats.
0: What does it take? I'm just curious. I, I'm sure you could say, yeah, there's some luck involved in that, but like for a guy to hit damn near five hundred for an entire season, what does that take up here in the in the mind?
1: Well, you hit it right on the head. Uh, so I think you know the answer. Um, that guy was as mentally tough and motivated a human being on and off the field as I've ever met in my life. Like to this day, he's still around the program and yep. I will never, I, I have never been and I ne- will. I don't think I will ever be around somebody like that guy. Um, he just, he's just, uh, you can't take him off his path. He, he, he you're not going to distract him from what he views as important. And, um, that's just he got better so quickly because he, you know, the relationship was really good. He understood what he was trying to get to, and he was just going to work so hard at it to a point of exhaustion, and he wasn't going to give in. And you couldn't shake him. And I think for somebody to be really, really good or play way above their skill set, and anybody who hits five hundred <laughs> played above their skill set. I mean, that just not something you do, right? or you got super lucky. Well, I, I, I think luck is, you know, kind of waning. I I think it comes and it goes, you kind of get what you deserve. And, and the guy just was incredible. I mean, he just was incredible and it wasn't incredible from, you know, three, you know, seven to 10 when the game was going on or whatever time it was, he was incredible 24 seven and he still is. Well, and what appears as successful,
0: what appears as luck is nothing more than just preparation. Absolutely. And let's go, let's talk about another gentleman who definitely has deserved what he, who's gotten what he deserves. You know, you've had a lot of guys sign major league contracts, whether they've been drafted or signed as free agents, Yeah. but you never had anybody who actually made it all the way until just a couple of years ago, Dalton Varsho, who, right. who was called up with the Diamondbacks. When that day, that moment when he was called up as the head coach, as his head coach in college, how did that feel for you?
1: Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I, I think with Varsh, you knew, you know, I, I knew, you know, a year and a half earlier than that, like, it's just a matter of time. If he stays healthy, it's going to happen. And it, um, and then COVID kind of got thrown in there and then you're like, Oh my God, what are the odds that this happened? They stopped the whole season. He's going to get called up in September and there's no, but, um, you know, I just, I thought back of the the time that we spent just one-on-one in the cage and some of the struggles he went through and um, some of those conversations we had and just just so proud because he he just uh, he he was one of those guys that wasn't going to be denied you weren't going to shake him from his motivation he wasn't going to be distracted um, yes the skill set was there from day one um, but uh, it was it's truly his desire and his work ethic and um, just ne- unwavering determination to be as good as he possibly can um, every single day, all day. Like that's just who he is. Um, and so it's just amazing. It's just an amazing feeling. You know, I, I didn't have really have much to do with it. I got to be part of it and be along for the ride and part of that journey. But, uh, you know, he deserves all the credit. And, and uh, I, I think when he gets in there, Consistently, he's going to have a really good major league career. It's just he's just got to get in there and and get his you know get his roots dug in a little bit.
0: I think it had to be. I hope it had it was a proud moment for um, any former UWM player. to watch that to watch uh, an alumni of theirs. You know, because that's what you have in common with them. Finally, you know, make it all the way. It was a pretty cool moment when I saw the box box score in the paper the next day, and I'm like, awesome, he made it.
1: You know, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. It, and you guys who came before him have a lot to do with that. Honestly, like he wouldn't have made the decision to trust us to get him to that level had there not been, you know, I think we've had 50 guys sign professional contracts and I don't know how many drafts, 30 or something. But he made the decision to, to come here because he felt like we could help him get to that's that awesome. level. And, and it's because of you guys that, that that's happened. So he's not well, a and it's, it's a... And a I, think a lot of, I
0: think a lot of it starts with you and Augie. You know Jerry Augustine, who was the head coach official head coach when I was there, you yeah. guys put that program on the map. Like I said, I go back to when I first sure. came there. I, UWM wasn't that long into a Division one program at that time and and so yeah, Just
1: let's, a few now, years.
0: now let's talk about some milestones for you, you know, looking back at your career. One, tell me how good does it feel to be playing at the rock and and, <laughs> and Franklin Field now.
1: Yeah. You have, have a new stadium.
0: Yet? I have not, but you have a new stadium. It looks gorgeous. What is it like to have home games there every day every every season or every weekend series now compared to what it used <clears> to be?
1: Even, I you mean, know, as great as I thought it would be. It was even better. Like uh, this this spring was just an incredible experience for our guys. Just so happy for them. You know, you, our locker room is out in center field and so we walk in through the center field gate and it just smacks you in the face which how with how cool it is and then i think our our department did a really good job in in the inaugural season just making it a a cool place to be with different events and you know they did a good job of marketing and selling it and making it a, a really a you know an exciting place and you know honestly uh, it's a it's something that the program deserves uh-huh. the university deserves the alumni deserve the community deserves the state of wisconsin deserves we are representing wisconsin in college baseball at the very highest level. And so we have to do things first class. We can't say one thing and then do another. And so if we're gonna be what we're trying to be, we've gotta do that in a first class manner. And we did it and the place was just, it's just awesome.
0: That's awesome. And I give the athletic department a lot of credit. You know, I, I think when I first got out of college, there wasn't that much of an outreach to alumni.
1: Yeah. And
0: I'll tell you, I've had some great conversations in the last 12 months with uh, Chris Roach
1: Yep. And, and a they're doing,
0: a, they're doing a fantastic job to really, to really make something of the entire athletic program. So it's cool to see, you know, Scotty, you're chasing in on 400 wins, I think um, over your, your 15, 16 year career as a head coach, any moments stand out for you looking back
1: of those 400 wins or, or my time, Just I UWM? guess
0: just your time in general.
1: Yeah, at I, UWM. Mean, I don't look at the wins. I mean, I, I feel like I was, you know, a, a pretty big part of the, the 400 or whatever Augie had. Um, and so I treat to me, those are all the same. Like we started this thing kind of together somewhat. And we 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 had a long ways to go to get it to where we wanted to go. And we still have a ways to go to get it to where we want it to go. Um, and really, to me, just I don't know that there's one moment. I mean, you guys beating Rice obviously was an incredible experience. You beat the number one team in the country in the regional. We didn't even have We didn't have a field, we didn't have dugouts at our field. We didn't have anything. I mean, we didn't, you know, for us to show up there and, and beat those guys. I mean, I don't think, I know the people that we're playing against had no idea what we're, what we were up against. I know that. Um, and so the backstory is really cool. Just watching you guys be able to celebrate that.
0: Yeah. No, that, that was phenomenal. I I still get chills thinking about, I remember hearing stories of they, they, they showed the score at uh, it was still County stadium at the time they showed us the score at County stadium. And I think uh, the crowd gave it a standing ovation.
1: That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Which
0: which is really cool to see, you know, last question I want to ask you, and then I'm going to go into just some rapid fire around the horn for you um, to finish this thing up. If as a head, as a head coach at the division one level today, if I said, you know, I got a 16 year old nephew right now who's playing the travel ball thing, you know, trying to get the exposure plays at your alma mater Arrowhead. Um, What advice would you give parents of those kids that are sitting there today in high school looking to gain that exposure?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, So here's the thing. I think with exposure, if, if you, if you can play nowadays, if you're a good player, you're going to get exposed, whether you do travel ball, you do just high school, you do whatever there's, there's so many uh, mediums out there uh, for um, visibility, whether it's you know uh, PBR, a showcase event, handful of those travel ball teams like uh, I think you, you said your nephews on sticks, um, play for your high school. There's there's all there's all kinds of different ways to do it. I would say this, um, it, it's easy to get caught up in the the name game and what schools are interested in me. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with some of that to me. It, I feel like if you just get yourself really ready to compete at a high level, all that other stuff will go away. And I think it's easy for parents to get caught up in that too, and see that, you know, little Johnny's teammate is getting, just got called from the University of Texas or Tennessee or whatever. And, you know, they show up and they've got the Tennessee Jersey on or the Texas Jersey t-shirt and the hat and all that. And, and I get it. That's, that's kind of the sexy thing and it's cool for them too. And just to recognize what is important like, what is the point of the the college experience supposed to be about? First of all, it's about going to get a, a meaningful degree, getting an education that's going to set up in the next 60 years of your life. Like that's really what it should be about first. Secondly, what's important to my son um, or my daughter um, as an athlete, like, is it getting on the field right away? Is it being you know, in a, um, a campus that's close to home to, to where we can watch it is, is the educational piece, the size of the university. I mean, there's a thousand different things that you can have on your priority list. And I think make that priority list with really some thought rather than just hey texas just called me and i get it like that would have been really cool for me as a kid and probably you too mm-hmm. um but you got to have somebody's got to be the adult in the room and, and help them see the bigger picture and if and i think if that was happening at a little bit higher level we wouldn't have thirty two hundred people in the transfer portal and that's just the reality of it yeah. um, i love I, how
0: you I, said that be the someone's got to be the adult in the room to have that conversation
1: I think so. And, and I think the travel coaches now, um, you know, their job is to, to put those kids in those programs. Like that's, that's their business model and I get it. And, um, I I think it's, um, it's hard for them to see past their face a little bit. They have to, um, they have to do that to have a successful business, but at the same time, they are very impactful in these kids lives and, and helping them make decisions. For the right reasons i think so i think finding those 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 travel ball programs who also see the big picture i think can really help um and and you know having your having the parents ask the the right questions or or the important questions and don't be afraid of the answers because they might not be as cool as you think they are
0: <laughs> yeah no reality check sometimes is in order so, I think so. Well, let's close this out, Scotty. I call this around the horn for rapid fire questions, whatever comes to your mind. First, okay. uh, ask me some for about you personally in your playing days. And then some as a coach, first one as a player in the mm-hmm. Dodgers organization, toughest pitcher you've ever faced. So can it be
1: a guy that was in my organization? I know exactly where you're going. So the answer is yes. <laughs> so I faced, I faced Pedro Martinez a bunch of times. I actually played with him on my team. Um, and he wasn't the toughest. It was John Candelaria. The sidearm left handed pitcher was uh, made a million dollars a year back then, which was in the early 90s was a lot of money, a bullpen arm for the Dodgers. Absolutely had no chance. Um, I did ground out. I think I hit the ball about an inch above my left hand. And it just wasn't carrying to right center that day and it rolled to the second baseman about four miles an hour. And I was thrilled. I hit it because I don't even remember seeing it. It seemed that, uh, it it just seemed that it was a
0: six, six, seven, six, eight side armor. Wasn't he?
1: Yeah. And it was like 95 from the side and he stepped towards first base when he threw it. So I felt like I was looking in the first base coach's (laughs) box for the ball. And then from that same slot, he'd throw a slider that would go two feet the other direction. So you had, you know, you had Mm -hmm. kind of that sinker slider with just ridiculous deception and,
0: Scotty, I'm t- I still tell the story of you telling that story because wasn't Tommy Lasorda saying, Hey, son, are you, aren't you going to get a hit? And you said, I'll, I'm sure going to try. What was his response?
1: <laughs> he said, We can get in front of the whole team. He's like, That is a bunch of BS. I can go to any truck stop in America and they'll be lined up. People want to try. I can get anybody to try. And you know what? He's got a point.
0: Like yeah, he does.
1: <laughs> he's got a point. Now the point also is easier to make when you're not the one standing in the box.
0: <laughs> very true. Very I will true. say
1: this. It was uh I, I was about as overmatched as you could be. And I wasn't the only one. So yeah. <laughs> that lasts right. pretty
0: long. If you're getting Scotty Duffick out th- as a hitter, what do you what pitch are you throwing him?
1: Really anything down in a way is probably gonna get her done. I'm gonna yep. roll it over. The couple times
0: I faced you in summer ball, it was, it was a changeup blown away.
1: Yeah, I was pretty good at reading if the pitcher tipped his changeup, and if I didn't read it and it was executed, I'm gonna roll it over. It's gonna be a pretty, pretty, pretty um, a, a malign out. Yep, I was pretty good at it.
0: How about now on the coach on the coaching front? You've been there again at UWM for over 20 years. Most talented player you've coached against, if you can think of one
1: holy cow good question um just straight up tools
0: yeah first guy that comes to your mind
1: uh probably chris bryant you guys played san diego yep
0: oh okay i didn't know that yep wow yeah that one would stand out for me too easily
1: yeah he was he was pretty good um we we actually knocked max scherzer out in the fifth inning um ended up losing eight to five but i think it was uh we were winning we were winning five to four, I believe when we, when he took him out in the fifth. Um, and he's, he's got 3000 strikeouts at this yeah, point. Yeah. He's doing okay. Well, yeah. I still,
0: I still tell people the story. When you mean talk about baseball when a kid just gets it. Um, I remember my senior year I had that perfect game against UIC going and this little unknown freshman broke it up by the name of Curtis Granderson. Uh, yeah, he was and he ended good. up having an okay career.
1: Yeah. 400 <laughs> home runs. Can you imagine he did 400 home runs? It's Unbelievable. I didn't unbelievable. see that coming.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, as a freshman, he wasn't even on the radar of a kid you had to watch out for.
1: Nope. And even as a junior now he ended up being a fourth round pick. I think. I think he was second round. Oh, it could have been maybe the fourth pick in the second round. Um, I think you're right. Um, I felt like, you know, I still felt like if you made pitches against him, you had a chance to get him out. Now you better, you're going to have to stack quality pitches. You can't just make one good pitch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, let's
0: finish with the most important question. No oh boy. Franklin Field or the Hank. <laughs> what are we talking
1: about here? Which for, one do we prefer? For
0: those who don't know, Hank Aaron Field is the field that we played at for the, you know, I played at. And it was a common conversation of what would occur more during the game. The number of runs scored or the number of sirens that Blair passed the field. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we had a pretty good offense when you were there and scored a lot of runs. And it still was <laughs> the sirens. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, it it was a tough place to, to manage. We're still there somewhat for practice. Um, and you know, we've turfed it since, so it's way better than when you were there and it's got decent dugouts and all that. And we've made it as friendly as we can, but, um, Franklin Fields off the charts, you gotta get you out there. Um, you're going to love it. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I, as bad as the Hank was and as tough as it was, there was something about it that I think created a, you know, a little bit of a toughness. um, People didn't want to come there. Nobody wanted to come there. We won over the, I I just got this put on my desk. We won almost 77% of the games there in 25 years. That's awesome. And and that was a testament to you guys. You took pride in it and nobody wanted to come there. At the end of the day, you know what? We had a pitcher's mound and the bases were 90 (laughs) feet. It's still a baseball diamond. So you're going to show up, you got to find a way to beat us. And it wasn't that easy there.
0: That's awesome. Well, Scotty, I appreciate it. This has been an yeah. awesome conversation. Um, for anybody listening, and like I said, whether you are an athlete or you have a, you're a parent who has a kid, this was, an, this was an episode you need to listen to because Scotty provided a lot of good knowledge, information around what it takes to excel at the collegiate level, even at the next level in the sport of baseball. So, Scotty, one last time, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And for everybody listening in, you know, when clarity and confidence fly, action happens. Go make it happen today. Get
1: your mindset.
0: Thank you for listening into this week's episode. And if you know of any other high achievers like yourself that you think would benefit from this episode, please do me a favor. Please share this with them. You would help me go a long way in sharing this message, getting this message out to as many people as possible. I'd be forever grateful. And If you really found benefit from today's episode, do me a favor, go subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a great review. It always helps to make sure that this podcast is getting in front of as many ears and eyeballs as possible.
1: Thank you.